Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I am Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today's show, we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. You said experienced, like from the in the past, we're done with it. I hope not. <laughs> no, I think we're still experiencing. <laughs> I hope it'll come again. No, we're still experiencing <laughs> resilience through adversity. Yes, yes. Yeah, we really are. But um, this is an interesting day. Uh, I've listened to a couple of our past podcasts, and I love them. Not because we did them, but because of what we're talking about. And uh, I realize how helpful it can be to people when they're in the midst of struggle as caregivers, as people who are going through difficult times. And uh, we all need it. We all need the support. We all need the perspective. And no matter how many times we talk about it, I realize from my own experience, it really helps to hear it again, to remind ourselves that there's more than just the emotionality of the experience, which is hard, very difficult. Yes. But... Uh, I want to go. I wanted to go back to something that uh, uh, came up for me, uh, and I've someone who's very special to me, and I don't think he realized he, how special he was. And it was uh, my high school and junior high school, and actually uh, came up to college at one time. <laughs> Wasn't a good visit for me, but. He was a man that I had great respect for, and he was a man that had a, a character and a decency and an integrity as well as his skills. At a time when, boy, I sure was in trouble, and I, I lacked a lot of consistent um, mentoring from a man who had the integrity and who was right there in the front lines with me, and he was my wrestling coach, and it was Walt Shawcross. He was an icon in uh, New Jersey, um, in the wrestling world, in the athletic world. He was an icon in Union, New Jersey, where I wrestled. Um, an outstanding man. And I knew him for a long time because he kind of plucked us off the streets at times and got some very good wrestlers. Almost literally. Yeah, he was good. Uh -huh. He was good that way. I knew him, I think, since sixth or seventh grade, uh, right through college, um, parts of college. But he was an amazing guy, terrific and uh, I was a guy who was really in trouble personally. Uh, I certainly had some serious attitude problems. And having someone who had the ability to be authentic and truthful and honest in a loving way, but strong. Um, and he was in, he emulated and emanated character and integrity and decency, as well as being an incredible athlete himself. But what a guy. And uh, he certainly knew me because when I was not doing well with attitude, it was like you're not wrestling this week, and you're not you're not going to be uh, in on the varsity lineup at all. And uh, he didn't like my attitude. He called me on it, and he'd say it was affecting my work as a wrestler. And he was on me, and he was always right, and I knew it. 
and I needed somebody who I respected and looked up to um, as, as big a chip as I had on my shoulder. This is a man who hung in there with all of us. Uh, really a wonderful man. And uh, I've carried him deep in my heart. And as far as I look, when I heard that he had passed away this week, he had 93 years old. Um, one of the things that struck me was he is one of the core mentors in my life. And he, the impact of what he had on my life, it, it reaches right to this day. And I realize so many things that I do today have to do with having wonderful mentors. And Walter Shawcross was one of the really good ones. And he was an early mentor. Uh, he counteracted a lot of bad things going on in my life. And uh, he always was solid as a rock. And um, with him, yeah, there were consequences from bad, for bad act, attitudes. I'll tell you, it was like not that he confronted you. You were going to, you were going to feel the price of being in trouble again. And I was getting in a, I, now that I look back, I was in a tr lot of trouble. And I was still on the wrestling team. It was one of the most solid things in my life right through to college. And uh, most of my friends were superior athletes. And I was too, except they didn't have the attitude problems that I did. And they went on to do very well themselves in many ways. Um, and some not, but you know, that's life. But anyway, I want to uh, just offer my condolences and my heartfelt appreciation and gratitude um, to Coach Walter Shawcross. And I want to send my love and gratitude to his family today. His wife of 68 years and uh, he had grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Amazing, but quite a guy. Anyway, all my best to your family. And I want to say that what we're doing here today, it became clear to me after seeing what I was seeing about him on Facebook and there were some other memorials, how deeply I hold him in my heart. So uh, I'll always be grateful and I will always hold him in my heart very dearly and with love and appreciation that he never gave up on me, even though I was giving up on myself. He didn't. He didn't put up with me. But he, he hung in there, as he did with a lot of the guys, a lot of the tough guys. They weren't, we weren't all just remarkable athletes. It was a rough area to grow up in. And there were people that were incredible athletes and academic kids, but there were also people like me. And they were on the wrestling teams, too, and some of them were incredibly good. So it was really a, a mainstay of our community. And for kids in trouble, it was just, he was incredible. But anyway, moving on. Uh, Before you move on, yeah. I just want to say that as long as I've known you, and I've known you for a long time, mm -hmm. you have recognized how important Walt was in your life, and you shared that mm -hmm. with many people. This mm -hmm. is not just a recent thing because you saw his the notice of his death. Mm -hmm. He has been... Uh, very much uh, a part of you. Um, you've made it obvious, and also in the way that you, as now a coach and mentor, mm -hmm. work with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about Walt this morning, and you, uh, I wrote down because I was so touched, you said that, that Walt, um, Walt emulated, as you said, character, but you described it as character as a solid ground. Solid. A solid, like a grounding, a w something that you could return to and count on and start to try to build in yourself. And it happened at a very important time, uh, adolescence, early teens, mm -hmm. when you did not have 
someone in your life to provide that for you. No, I didn't. And, you know, I remember now there were people that professed a lot of religiosity where I grew up and in my own home. But when it came to real solid character, um, I didn't see much of it, if any. I didn't see much integrity at all. He had it. And he didn't have to profess religiosity. He just was a man that just had this decency and integrity and goodness about him and caring about people um, as strong as he was um, and he would he would call it when he saw it if things weren't right he would call it and he certainly called it on me plenty but he I don't think he really gave up on me in fact when I started college I'll never forget this he came up one weekend and I was on a college wrestling team and compared to what we went through he raised you know we were some of the top wrestlers in the East Coast and uh, college wrestling for me was like uh, so easy and uh, I was skating and that meant like I was just getting by and nobody knew it because we I knew how good we I was before but it, I took the easy way that was my bad attitude but one weekend he came up and I will never forget it he took a look at me I was in the bleachers listening to a, a presentation and and afterwards, I went down to talk to him, and the, my co college coach was there. I'll never forget this. And he looked at him, and he says, I know this kid since 6th, 7th grade. He's been on my teams for years. He can be a real bum at times. And looking at him, he's in trouble. And I will never forget how I felt at that moment was the truth really meant a lot to me. Mm. Not that at the moment I did much about it, but... It came from Walt, and you know what? It meant a lot. There was a solid person who cut through all of the nonsense and pierced to it, and I knew he cared about me. Mm -hmm. And it was a caring act. Oh, he, yeah, he, what he did. I knew it, yeah. and I knew this is a man who knew me for years and was right there, but he didn't mince words. He cared about the bigger picture for you. He sure did, and I remember he looked at the coach, and he says, he, he said, I'm sure he's skating. I'm sure that he's probably in the drugs and bad attitude and um if you're if you're considering giving a scholarship which you're just preparing to do he said don't because he's not doing it he's not doing what he's capable of and i never got the scholarship <laughs> and the truth of the matter is he was right and i knew it at the time and inwardly i was grateful i'll never forget that so um and it's something that we do and I do for people for many, many years um, in the work that we've done as a psychology and psychology and psychotherapy for many years now as a, a mentor and consultant and life coach. Mm -hmm. And I like that part of my life a lot better, to be honest with you, than just being a clinician now. So um, I look back at that and I go, well, we used to call him Coach Schalke, the Coach. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a coach now. <laughs> and I love it. Yeah. And I love doing this. So anyway, he's part of the show today, I'm sure of it. He is, he is. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit. We're, I've listened to a couple of the podcasts, and they were really good. Uh, we had some wonderful guests on. We had uh, Teresa Lyons from Hospice, who is a remarkable, wonderful woman that does great work, and so do they all. They do. Yeah, wow. We are blessed with the hospice in our really, town. Really, what a hospice. Outstanding organization. Yeah, so... She was here and she did a great job. She was right on the same page we are. And then um, I was listening to another one. I think it was last week. Last week. Last week, mm -hmm. last week. yeah. Caught my eye. I mean, you know, it's funny to listen to it versus doing them. I get a lot more out of listening to them. But we were talking about some things about 
caregivers, and that's what we're really emphasizing, and for good reason. We're caregivers, and personally speaking, we're very involved with my my wife (coughs) and my mother, Mm -hmm. who's in Florida, who's also struggling somewhat. But I'll tell you the truth. It's an incredible part of life, and I'm meeting more outstanding, special people in this walk of life, people that have embraced it as a a semi-profession or a profession, people that are involved in it in so many different ways. I've met incredible people, and uh, it's a special part of life. It's probably one of the most difficult conditions of life is coming alongside people that are you love, that are, are cared for, that are dying, that are sick, that are struggling at the end of their life. It's so tough. And it's quite an emotional roller coaster too. Um, but it's it's interesting because caregivers go through a lot in being with these folks that are struggling, and uh, they share they share themselves so selflessly with such a giving quality that it's hard to find that in other aspects of life. I'll be honest with you. And in this aspect of life, it takes a special person who can give that much. Um, and continue on and grow in the and grow in their work and offer nourishment and nurturing and love and caring to folks that really need it um, and can give energy wise and and presence wise and skill wise a hundred percent and maybe not get probably not get almost anything back um, then we get some but not much I, I just really have a great empathy um, for caregivers of all kinds, nurses, doctors, um, elder care workers, geriatric, everything. I, there are so many caseworkers, you name it, but we're part of it. And um, it's the kind of people that become caregivers, really, if it's not, uh, if it's by choice, there are, you know, if it's your family, it's not by choice, is um, people who are what they call empaths. Let's let's hold that just for thought mm-hmm. and and come back to that after our break. Okay. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our first segment today, Peter was sharing his heartfelt reminiscence about Walt Shawcross, a very recognized, loved, and honored man uh, who was a wrestling coach uh, and athletic director in New Jersey and uh, just passed away, a much-loved man. Uh, The honors and the the uh, memories that people were sharing, and Peter's as well, were very touching, uh, very meaningful. And he was an important mentor in many ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about caregiving, and we talk about caregiving quite a bit. And there is a connection uh, in, in between the kinds of things that, that Walt mentored young people in and the qualities of good caregivers. And so we're just starting to get started now on caregiving and the kind of people that that are called to it and, and can do it well, some of the qualities that are required. Right. Yeah, the camera's on, right? 
Yes. I want to say hello to all my friends in New Jersey and uh, send you my love. And, and uh, I know that you all are sharing probably some of the same uh, sorrow of, of, of about losing Walt Chowcross as I am. So I send you my love today. And I hope you'll be watching our um, podcast. They're, they're going to be televised eventually. But right now you can get them on... Uh, our website. Our website and Facebook, too. I um, saw one yesterday. Yeah. It was really nice. Yeah. And YouTube. And YouTube, yeah. It's great to watch. I like, I mean, it's nice to see. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to um, the kind of folks that do this work, they're pretty amazing people for the most part. And um, they're putting themselves to an awful lot to give to others. It's, to do this just for a paycheck doesn't last very long at all. And I know that's one of the motivations for many people who come from other cultures. But I got to tell you, that doesn't hold water after a while. It no. just does. No, no. We've talked to agencies and their turnover rate in a year, and they emphasize money and benefits 80%. Mm-hmm. That'll tell you, money isn't enough to hold. The f- it's not the answer, no. no. So the key really is looking at these folks and looking at something that happens. Um, most of the caregivers, I don't think there's one that I've met that doesn't have traumatic pasts and pain in their past. A and history, yes. And histories and woundedness and very difficult times um, in their families and in in themselves and loved ones and people they knew and cultures they grew up in. A lot of trauma, a lot of trauma. So it gets them to a place of having a great deal of empathy and understanding of folks that um, are hurting and going through rough times. Mm -hmm. But there's some downsides to it, too. Yes. And that is, it has to do with self-care. One of the things that we do see in this kind of work is that eventually people get tired. They get depleted, and of course they do. Um, That itself isn't the worst thing in the world because if you're maintaining yourself pretty well and taking care of yourself... You know, a weekend off or some days, even a day off can be very restorative. And then you can come back refreshed and renewed a lot of times. That's not the, that's, that's normal stress. And these, these jobs have that. Mm-hmm. There's other things that begin to happen, though, that could lead to things that are a lot worse. And um, compassion fatigue is, we all go through that too. Um, but the worst of it is when you don't know how to take care of yourself and compassion fatigue, fatigue really builds up, it builds to a burnout. Burnout is... It does not have to happen. No. And there's ways to prevent it. We've learned ways to bring people back from it, too. Yes. Because that's what we... How to restore. That's what these models, uh, these manuals that we developed for other work and contracts came from. People that were completely burned out. And we did help them over a long period of time. So one of the things we do see is how challenging and confrontive this kind of work is. Um, You're going to be giving an awful lot. And um, that just goes with the work. Most people accept that, that do this work. But there's another part to it, too, and that is that we are rec- kind of like, I want to say receptive receptacles. We take on the energy of the people we take care of. And um, it's not all good. It's painful. It's difficult. Um, and after a while, if we don't recognize that we're taking it on, and we don't recognize the impact that it's having, we can begin to get triggered. And triggering is what the emphasis of this broadcast podcast is today. We talked about it last week. We've talked about it before. And I was telling Jenny earlier, 
you can't talk about it enough because when we're all out there on the front lines, we need to be reminded because we forget. It is an important basic principle. It, it will happen, and how we deal with it can always be uh, something that we can improve on. Right. Absolutely. It's an ongoing process. But what is triggering? We'll briefly talk about that. Triggering is, is something that um, if you're dealing with an emotional situation or you're tired or difficult, and certainly as caregivers are dealing with difficult emotional situations, um, after a while, um, if you're carrying, and most caregivers do, your own personal burdens, your own personal traumas, your own personal pain and history, the chances are that this is the work that's going to draw that to the surface. Um, and it's just, it could be from emotional exhaustion. It could be from the energy you're taking on from a very difficult situation. It could be situations that are similar to things that you've gone through in your past and that we call it state-specific triggering. And when that happens, all of a sudden, your old stuff begins to come up too. The emotions, the reactions, whether they were good or bad, come up with it. And um, so does your pain. The key really is um, to begin to, re to recognize it, to know yourself, to know um, more about yourself and how to pay attention to who you are and what you carry, what it feels like. Um, you don't have to be cured. But you got to know who you are, and you got to know where your pain is and your history and how it affects you. you got to know what it feels like. Yeah, the triggering is, uh, just to put it in a little different words, it's when something is happening to in, in front of you, to you, and it what you feel inside is out of proportion to what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. um, it can be an, something that you would get angry or irritated or concerned or worried about, but Triggering means that it's how you feel is is magnified compared to what's really happening right now. Yeah, and a lot of times when people are in that state, they're not aware that they're, we call it reenacting old reactions in the present that don't fit at all. And these are, when you're in this kind of work, my gosh, you can contaminate and make things so much more difficult and not be very nurturing and nourishing anymore. So that, that can happen. I guess that what you talked about is it's almost like having one foot in the present and one foot in the past all at once. Right. And um, that doesn't have to be the worst thing in the world if you know yourself. As long as you're aware. Aware. Of that might be simple, but it's not easy. No. you got to know what it feels like. you got to know who you are. What you, what you need to do to get familiar with triggering is, number one, to know your own, to know who you are, what you feel like, what you're carrying in your bodies what your reactions are, um, what you're, who you are. And you've got to be able to be pretty familiar with that, not, not cured and healed, but you got to know yourself. Um, it's when you don't and these triggers go off, the reactions begin to come. Not responses, not being responsible, re but reactivity. That usually has nothing to do with the present. Um, unless you're in some kind of crisis and you got to move really fast and be reactive and responsive at the same time. Most of the time, it doesn't fit. These old reactions have come up and you're almost behaving like you did when you were in the past, in your own life, at another time in your life. That doesn't really work now. It doesn't fit for doesn't where you fit, are now. No. Yeah, that's right. And if you, there's a couple of things that can cause that. Taking on other people's energy. And in this work, it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to know what that feels like compared, and compare it to who you are. 
Yes, you have said sometimes when, like, if you walk into a just a, if you walk into a room with someone and interact with them, do you feel differently than when you walked into the room in the first place? Has something changed inside you? Yeah, and let me tell you, that's a good barometer about to get a reading on what's going on, particularly with people who can't convey verbally anymore what's going on with them. But yes, that's right. And you begin to get a feel for, wait a minute, I wasn't feeling this way before. Yeah. Um, but right now, I, my energy is really low, and I feel really uh, luggy, and my brain isn't clear. Um, what happened? Because half an hour ago, I wasn't feeling like that at all. Yeah. You're beginning to take on the energy of someone else. Um, empaths do it all the time. So they have to be even more tuned in and more sensitive to themselves and constantly, I would think, on an ongoing basis, check in with themselves to see what their emotional states are, to see what they feel like physically, to see how they're thinking. Um, and through that, they begin to recognize who they are and what's familiar to them about themselves and these other things that aren't about themselves, but they're absorbing other people and other people's energy. Um, and emotionality and difficulties. That can work two ways. It can be very beneficial if you learn to be responsive because then you're getting a reading on where these folks are and what they need. Um, that's very important. I use that all the time. But that means being responsive. That's not being reactive. Mm -hmm. So even if you get triggered, it doesn't mean you have to indulge it at the time at all. It just means you understand where you are and um, you put it aside for a while because you can't get into it, but you got to recognize it. And we'll talk about that a little later um, about pushing the pause button. But um, in the meantime, it really helps to understand um, who you are, what's going on, what you're picking up from these folks. And it also teaches you well, how to respond more sensitively and more appropriately to what's going on in front of you without that felt state. Now, I'm not talking about emotionality now. Without this, the felt state, our normal intuitive uh, capacities, we're really running at a handicap. And I know plenty of people do shut that off. It's a mistake because it helps us get readings on situations and we get a more full picture and then know how to respond better. Um, that's very, very important. So I, we're not talking about shutting your feelings off. No. We're talking about the emotionality that goes with old experiences and old wounds and old pain that's re-emerging. And if you're really tuned in to yourself, you can have more of an adult objective side watching it and seeing what's going on um, and be aware of it so you can deal with it later. Um, so that's very, very important. Even though there's another part of you that's getting very emotional or very um, stirred up or whatever, you don't have to react. Um, you just got to know that's what's happened. You're going to have to come to grips with it later. And we'll talk, talk to you about how to do that. There's many ways to do it, and it's also very important in self-care. Um, but you've got to know also because it's going to help you be more responsive as a caregiver to those in need. So we need that in a healthy way. So not all triggering is bad. No, no, but absolutely no. not. No. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break.
Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our last segment, we were reviewing some of the things that we've, important things that we talk about quite often about the qualities of caregivers, particularly uh, their empathy that often comes uh, because they have difficult pasts, traumatic pasts mm-hmm. themselves and can relate and respond to people who are suffering and, and, and having a very difficult time themselves. The, uh, the risk that will always happen is uh, in the work, the challenging, confrontive work, as the caregivers will be triggered. Uh, their emotions will come up uh, around things that, uh, because they've taken on energy from the people that they care for, mm-hmm. that connects with something inside them that they've experienced. Mm-hmm. We talked about the importance of being o- developing an awareness of when this has happened. Uh, so that you can be a responsive, caring person rather than a reactive, impulsive, impulsive, inappropriate, inappropriate person. Yeah. And just before our break, you were starting to talk about the felt state uh, mm-hmm. and the value of that versus uh, going with emotionality. And then you said uh, one of the things here is the pause button and that we would come back to we'll it. We'll get to that. Absolutely. I want to say, though, and when we're beginning to look at the triggering process um and if when you do come to a place where you accept what we're saying as important i want to tell you something be gentle with yourself (laughs) yes i am telling you from people who've helped a lot of others and ourselves come on lighten up on yourself it's very easy to get so self-critical and condemning and judgmental and unforgiving of yourself that is not the way to approach this thing. The way to approach it is to slow down, be kind to yourself, and gentle, and can, take it one step at a time. Yeah. Can I say something that just is coming to me as you say this? And that is that as caregivers, so often, and I'll say personally as a caregiver, mm-hmm. I put the person I care for ahead of me. And I will be hard on myself if I feel that I am letting them down in any way. And what you're saying, and I know, because this is one of those basics that I've heard before, Mm -hmm. is Mm self-care is so important. And this is one of those self-care things, to be gentle on ourselves. To be kinder to yourself. When we make a mistake or when things don't go the way we would prefer, that, that to put ourselves, our value beneath that of the person we care for is not part of self-care. Well... That's interesting because that's an. We've been talking a lot about um, some of the reactivities, reactivity, and I use myself as an example so many times um, as a person who could be very reactive and aggressive. I'm not most of the time at all, but I can be. But we forgot to talk about another kind of reactivity, and it's passive reactivity. Yes. And Jenny just described herself, and that's the passivity model. And what that means is, on the surface, they look calm unless you know them. They look calm. But inside, their, their reactions are totally off. They're not in the present. They're usually very, very hard on themselves. Um, they can become very adaptive, but at the same time, deep inside, very resentful too and angry. But it doesn't show itself because what they do is it'll affect, it'll manifest themselves. But it, it, they turn it on themselves or it begins to come out in attitudes in their work and all of a sudden nourishing loving caring for somebody in need has a element of resentment and bitterness to it 
and they may do all the things oblig with obligation, but yet there is no love there anymore uh, or caring, really. It's just going through the motions and really being angry and pissed off about it the whole time. So there is, there's the aggressive outward type of reactivity, and then there's the passive reactivity. Both of them can be very destructive um, unless you know yourself and you know about yourself because once you have that awareness of who you are, you can slow yourself down and become more conscious of making different choices. And that's the great part of it most of the time, really. Um, you, can, you can say, yes, I feel that way and I know it's me. And that's the way I act and react. Uh, I don't always know everything about where that comes from in my past, but I may need to find that out later. Um, but it does kind of help us to go, okay, slow down. Now take a breath and um, make a different choice and how your actions. Um, and again, if you're in a crisis and there's an intensity to it and there's an endangerment to life and that, that's different. You better have reactivity and the hyper alert reactions that go with that in both states. That is still appropriate in that situation. You need it. Yes. So it's not always bad, but truthfully, you don't need it all the time. No. And you don't need to tear in the people because you're upset. And that can happen. We've seen it happen many times. Um, I've seen it also, interestingly, uh, in people who are helpers and dealing with the military. Uh, I know we've had some interns at our institute and wonderful guys. Um, and we'd, we'd, we'd have somebody, a warrior, a veteran come in and they were in trouble. And even during the interview, it was always amazing to me how some of the folks working for us would be triggered, not into anger, but into identifying so quickly and so fast. They would actually want to do whatever it took to help that person right away, and they were out of control. It was a rescue. A real of, rescue. Yeah, but and it was not just the, about this person. It was also about themselves. themselves. And they made the work so what I call contaminated and difficult, and actually it got dangerous. And I remember backing off some of my really well-intentioned veterans and say, back off right now. This was what happened to Chris Kyle. That's right, yeah. Well, yeah. That was a heartbreak because we had talked to some of the command and Navy SEALs at the time and said, you better look out for this. We're seeing it. And the SEALs have even a closer fraternal kind of uh, brotherhood than every, any other service that we've seen even the Marines, and it's not always appropriate. And they're gonna jump in to try to rescue their brothers and sisters, and sometimes they don't have, they're not equipped, and they don't know what to do. And they make things a lot worse and endanger themselves and others. And Chris Kyle, of course, and his buddy, they were both killed and shot in the back by somebody they went to rescue, a Marine who was psychotic. And he shot both of them in the back at a firing range. So to me, they went into rescue, but I would ask at the time, and I don't mean anything, God, I'd be careful about this. Um, I wish I could have been used as a consultant then, and they would have come to me before they took did anything with this fellow, and I would have said, don't take him in near any kind of firing range or any kind of weapon, he's too dangerous. And um, I know you guys mean well, but this is not an appropriate type of helping. That's what one of the things that happens when we're triggered is that our perceptions, our, our discernment is clouded. Yeah. And we miss the cues about um, how to be 
positive, constructive, helpful for the people we care about in this situation. That's right. And I remember on an interview of Chris Kyle, I remember after he came back after his last um, his, his last combat mission, and he was he was struggling. And I remember a psychologist at the VA had talked to him about, tried to get an idea of where Chris Kyle was. And uh, and he said, well, you probably feel bad that you, you killed so many people and whatever. And he says, no, it was war. That's That's what I do. He said, what I really feel to carry a great deal of guilt about is all the guys that I didn't save and all the guys, because he covered for a lot of Marines and mm-hmm. a lot of people in combat. Mm-hmm. And he says, it's the guys I couldn't save that I carry so heavily and I feel so guilt-ridden about. Yeah. That got in his way. That's what got triggered. Yeah, that's what got triggered. And he wanted to make sure he never did that to anybody again. Mm-hmm. But he didn't have good discernment at that point. He needed some support. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt really badly about that. To be honest with you, we were involved in different at points. I think that we were involved with the Navy SEAL Foundation, mm-hmm. and we had just helped some uh, SEALs. And I remember feeling terrible about it because I just had talked to some of my friends and who had been retired in command. I said, you got to look out for this. And boom, well, it was a week later. Mm-hmm. Chris Kyle and his buddy were killed. So yes, mm-hmm. those things happened. So and that would be, that's a that was a triggering. And his was to rescue this fellow who was psychotic, a psychotic marine out of his feelings of being wounded with guilt that he was carrying that he couldn't be back there for another tour of duty to help more marines and save them. And he carried that very mm-hmm. personally and very heavily. Yeah. He was a very courageous. Heroic man. I mean, honestly, incredible. So that that was a triggering, and that's how destructive it can be. He was acting at that point as a caregiver. He was. Oh, yeah. This was an extreme uh, case uh, of caregiving. And I know we, we talked this morning about um, some of the things that you can do. We started with the first one, which is uh, we got started on that, which is be gentle with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um you're That's not right. going to be perfect, and you're going to need to forgive yourself because right. it will happen. You will get triggered. That's right. Um, the next thing that we were going to mention was this get curious about your triggers. Take, start to take a look at them. That's right. And I noticed the first sentence here, and this is out of our manual. I love it, so I'm going to read it. Sorry, anyway. <clears throat> it's, I said you can't – whoever wrote this? Who wrote this one? I did. Oh, okay. It says you can't change what you're not aware of, and your triggers can be opportunities for healing and growth, and that is the truth. It said check your emotional state often and develop an increasing sensitivity and awareness to how you personally feel when you're triggered. Learn to recognize the signs and symptoms. Do you feel a a calmness and a peace, or are you tense and stressed? How does your body feel? Do you have a stiff neck, a tight jaw, upset stomach? Is your heart pounding? Do you feel heavy, sluggish, numb, or wired, shaky and jumpy? Are you thinking too much or even obsessing over something that happened a long time ago or something that just happened but is really just a little thing? This is like having two views of yourself, the part that feels emotionally triggered and the part that can be objective and be an observer. Basically, this is a really good plan to begin to step up to recognition of triggering and what it feels like. 
So I thought that this was a really, like, getting to the point. It is, and it's in language that's not clinical exactly. or complicated. Mm-mm. It's very accessible. And we want to make sure that we don't put this in clinical terms because we don't want to trigger a stigma in people going, I don't want to get near this. This has nothing to do and with And that's one of the things we're, we're so conscious of these days is, we're not interested in causing stigma and negativity in anybody's mind about themselves. Unfortunately, clinicians, just by the nature of who they are and what they do, can do that. And we want to make sure that we don't. Um, we learned that from the Navy SEALs. We did. Yep. We did. Uh, I have a suggestion. I'd like to spend more time on this, but we got to take a break. So let's do that now and come back and get more into this yeah. in depth. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We will be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our last segment, we got to talking about what to do, how to recognize when we've been triggered emotionally. Right. We've talked about how um, to begin to recognize. How to begin it. And um, the first uh, point that we made was to be gentle with yourself, mm-hmm. realize this is going to happen, forgive yourself, and then keep going. What you need to do to keep going is to develop your awareness. We can always be more aware. And our suggestion for developing more awareness is to get curious about your triggers. And Peter, you read something out of our manual that was very practical, very, Mm -hmm. uh, very helpful. And I just want to leave, I wanted to leave time to really dig into it. Okay. You know, one other part that I see here, make sure you resist the temptation to avoid or deny your triggers. Um, or that you've been triggered. What we resist, we wrote this, I think Jenny wrote this, what we resist persists and builds up to more unresolved emotional baggage and charge. And we don't want that. That gets pretty toxic. And that can happen. And for caregivers, it's lethal to carry these burdens and not deal with them because they have a negative accumulative effect we call toxic buildup emotionally, mm-hmm. which leads to eventual, uh, certainly emotion, uh, emotional uh, exhaustion, but eventually burnout. burnout. There are ways, though, once you don't deny it and once you look at it, um, to work it through. There, we have all kinds of abilities that we've developed on how to resolve this stuff that no matter what you go back to and how difficult the situations are, and what we're talking about are most are, difficult Mm -hmm. that you can go back with a fresh hopeful outlook and where your emotionality isn't crushing you and the triggers are diffused and you can begin to see things and be in the present again the here and now and be much more effective it's a benefit for definitely for the people you're caring for but it's also a benefit for you you're growing and you're doing what we talk about at the beginning of every podcast you're using adversity to grow and learn and thrive and that's the opportunity that's right yeah yeah i don't know what our timing is here we're in our last segment and we just began it so we have some time okay well i want to talk i want to just put out a, a little uh helpful work assignment for people to take a look at to help them with this and I just want to read it to you because we use this as a bit of homework and it really can help Um, 
it says writing about your triggers can help, especially if you can see yourself. If you can't see yourself, what is that? If you see yourself overreact, but don't, but don't understand. understand why. Yeah, you know why Jenny knows that when she wrote it? <laughs> okay. I, I better know this. Yeah. But don't so. understand why or what's behind the reaction. Keep track of situations that trigger you, how you feel at the time, and what memories come up, if any. Deal with the feelings and memories you become aware of, or even if you think you may not be. Even if you think you may not know the whole picture, don't worry about it. Keep going a step at a time with gratitude for what you have become aware of. More will follow if you stay with the process. The more unresolved painful emotions you have stored away, or the bigger the trauma that created them, this is true, the longer and more difficult it will be to resolve them all. But they can be resolved. It will need to happen in stages. So be patient and persistent and accepting of yourself end of the process you know what I love about that I'm going to go back to Walt Shawcross because that's the man that I learned how to persevere and persist and to really hang in there during painful difficult challenges physically and every other way and not to give up and quit and even when we felt defeated and there were plenty of matches I'll never forget as a wrestler I lost plenty too it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of time for self-pity and giving up and he was had the character to get you back on your feet, to hang in there, don't give up, be patient with yourself, and learn from your mistakes. And you'll get to be a much more resilient and skillful and, and developed individual. And boy, those were great lessons for teenagers. And boy, he was a great teacher at this. And here we are talking about this today. So that's how, how core these attitudes are of integrity and decency it's a certain kind of courage there's no question about it there's no de there's no denial and if there is be aware of that and then you got to have some support for somebody to take you out of that stage of not wanting to look at things and to look at it and to do something about it and if they see you running away from what you need to deal with um, they know that's going to lead to trouble so they would encourage you to focus on what's happening and there's another thing that Walt Shawcross did and that was there was no running away and um, he brought you back to the problem and boy did I try running away plenty of times in many ways but boy he was there and I knew it and I would be facing the difficulty and it would be time to work it through to develop skills to overcome my self-pity uh, my inferiority about not being as good as I wanted to be um, and I was surrounded by incredible athletes and I was pretty good myself but not not like some of these guys who were very close friends of mine but when I he would not tolerate that it was like you know snap out of it you got work to do and so that happened now what are you gonna learn from it and what can you do better next time but there was a perseverance and a patience and a tenacity to him that he conveyed to others not by what he said oh by who he was and he proved it in his whole life and his career and the responsibilities and the the recognition the man got all over the East Coast. I mean, he became a very important figure um, because of his character. And this is a man who grew a lot for many, many years. I mean, he was very involved with people for a long time. One, one of the things that has struck me about you, what you said about Walt, is that, yes, he taught you wrestling. Uh, 
you know, there was there was that. But what he most wanted to teach, emulate, have you learn, was to take a look at the holes in your character. Oh, man. That that came before everything. It did. And, you know, I was mixed up about it. I'm thinking, he wants me to be a good wrestler. What's he doing this? I just wrestle. And I was pretty good. But you know what? To him, it wasn't enough. There was character issues. And this is a man that really emphasized that and used the sports and used his his mentoring and coaching to fill the holes in and to confront the holes in our character. And he did, I know he did it for a lot of people. I've read some Facebook uh, entries months ago from one of my old friends. He was a pretty arrogant, incredible athlete. But he had some attitude problems and he didn't mix words about uh, Walt Shawcross sat him down and talked to him. And Larry was a real champion and one of the best athletes I'd ever seen. And he had some attitude problems. And Walt straightened him out. And Larry never forgot it and talked about it on Facebook. And I remember thinking, boy, I'm glad Walt talked to him because I was getting sick of him myself. He was a <laughs> Go, friend. Walt. He was a, good fr- <laughs> he was a good friend. We grew up together, and he was astounding as an athlete. But whew, what an attitude. I thought I had attitude problems. Boy, did he have attitude problems. But Walt, he spoke about how Walt sat him down and straightened him out yeah. and put him on the right track. Yeah. And he held on. Larry held on to that for his entire life. And he went through some real down times later in his life, but he pulled himself out of it all. Mm-hmm. And he writes about, Larry writes about that today, how he fell into serious alcoholism. He was in the corporate world, very successful, and he turned his life around. And it's beautiful to watch. I see pictures of how he looked when he was an alcoholic. I didn't even recognize him. He was mm. so blown up. Mm. And today he looks like he's a specimen for his age of being very physically fit. and mm-hmm. He looks good. And he loves sports still, and he's friends with a lot of the celebrity athletes, of course, Larry would be. Um, But when I look at him, I'm really touched and proud of him because his attitude spiritually, emotionally, physically, I know he got a lot of that from Walt as well as other people. But he did a great job. I'm very proud of him, and it's a a real pleasure to have him as a friend. Uh, I have other friends like that, too. Anyway... Getting on with this, though, with the triggering, there's another part we talked about is, well, then what do you, what gets in the way of people really not wanting to deal with triggers? You know, they learn that. Mm-hmm. And there really are issues that come up, and, and some of them are, it, and you can learn this, and this is not the most positive thing in the world, that at the time it's too intense to deal with, especially for kids. That can be true. And they just shut it down and block it out. And they're not ready to deal with what's come up. No matter how it's been provoked, they know it's not It's not a time to do it. They also know they may not be safe to do it. Um, that they could be abused and criticized and made wrong. Um, there's other times when it truly is not a time to deal with the triggering. You know, if you're raising a parent and you're a mom and you get triggered, you can't just dump all over your kid. So there are times you, you can feel it and know it, but don't act it out. Yeah, it's not it's not to bury it forever. It's just that it's not temporary. the right time. That's it's temporary. right. And that will, that will stop you from dealing with it at the time. And the other is that a lot of people aren't raised with understanding how to cope. They're not raised in a family knowing how to cope and deal with the processing of difficult emotional material. 
um, and that carries, f- and they didn't learn it from parents who knew, didn't know how to do it, or, mm-hmm. and they carry it forth in their own lives, and it gets them in trouble. So the key really is, these are some of the things, and there's more, that get in the way of people wanting to even deal with their, with their triggerings, and yet I highly and strongly encourage you to wake up, not to let these things in and of themselves stop you because you're going to have to deal with the repercussions of those triggerings that have been stimulated. There will be consequences, there that's are, right. That's right. And we have a way of dealing, we have numbers of ways of dealing with it. Ways of, dealing with. of course, if it affects your body, and it does, we have a body work to help people recover from trauma and, and difficulties. And I'm not talking psychotherapy. I'm talking about trauma recovery, body work, and we do a great job with physical pain. Um, there's also... Uh, I think called pushing the pause button. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about it before. Jenny it loves bears this repeating. One. It is important. Yeah, and we use this a lot with um, veterans. Yeah, we, we did. We yeah, did. when yeah. we did our training, and it worked. But it's really a very important thing because it helps you establish a boundary between yourself and the other person. And I'm not talking about cutting them off, but knowing the difference between who you are and who they are. It also helps you recognize if you've been stimulated. Um, and you've been triggered. Um, you've got to know that you you can put a hold, put a hold on it because it really may not be appropriate to to deal with your own emotional material at the time. You're more you've got to take care of the person in front of you. That's yes. your, your responsibility. Yes. But later on, you got to unpush that pause button and deal with what's ever been triggered. Um, there's many ways to do it. Many approaches. Ours is certainly working with the doing the body work. We feel it's very important. Um, coaching and mentoring and consulting and supporting. We do a lot of that. Excuse me. Um, let me see. And I think our teams, being our part teams, of a team. That's right. We work can, in teams. Can help people. Can help help you see when it's happened. That's right. And hold you accountable yeah. in a in a loving way. You and know, supportive, not and like supportive mean, way. Not yeah, mean spirited. No, but no, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of things to do, but understanding with the pause button, that doesn't mean you're not feeling what's going on. You're not mean. You're not invulnerable. It just means you're not acting it out in the present, and you're going to take care of it later through having a good cry, letting down, going to the gym, taking a good run. For me, riding my horses and competing, anything with an adrenaline rush, I'm thrilled about and I love. And that really kicks me in the endorphin range, which is my favorite drug, endorphins. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel so good, I don't feel any pain for a while. Oh, yeah. But the truth of the matter is it gives me a break and because uh, we deal with pain constantly. Um, there are so many things that you've got to do. Self-care. To, that's self-care and respite care, and it has to do with unpushing the pause button yeah. later. Later. And, huh? So we feel that the pause button is one way to cope with triggerings. Now, there's two other possibilities for triggering, and that is pushing the off button, or, and this one you got to be aware of, is keeping the on button wide open. Okay. Um, when pushing the off button, the, there are times when you really need to be careful. If you're in an endangered situation, and we've had those at our institute, and we've dealt with certain people that are dangerous, you can't be vulnerable. And you have to be very careful, and you've got to be prepared. Um, and that means that button, that means you're not going to let any of this destructive, abusive garbage come in on you. And you're going to shut it out like it's like a stone wall. Mm-hmm. Um, the other button is the on button, which is something that you would use 
utilized with intimacy and openness and healing and being in a safe place with safe people. So there is a time for that. Um, and that means you're wide open. There are no boundaries. An intimate rela love relationship, there shouldn't be boundaries. It's appropriate at that it point. It is appropriate to be wide open. It's right. nurturing and loving and restorative. Right. Pause button is the most appropriate thing to do when you're in the in the world that we are in. And that means you're going to feel, but you're not going to react. You're going to respond. And you are going to monitor your reactions and be have responsible react, react uh, actions but later on you're going to definitely have to unpush that and you're going to feel what's been stimulated and we're going to continue to talk about that as time goes on because it is such an important principle yeah, but we are out of time for really? today thank you wow. and so i need to take a moment to say that the survivor's guide to life is made possible through a grant from sonoma coast trauma treatment a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you if our podcast and the information we provide benefits you or someone you care about please support us by contributing to sonoma coast trauma treatment uh, tax deductible donations go to sctraumatreatment.org sctraumatreatment.org Please also support us in social media on Facebook or Instagram. For more information, you could email me at jenny at bernsteininstitute.com or call us at 707-781-3335. Thank you for listening and please join us again. Mm -hmm.